Hello and welcome to the Wittered Report podcast, where we empower business advisors to transform businesses. This podcast is your source for information and news you need for your accounting, bookkeeping, or tax practice. Don't forget to check out scalingnewheights.com for information about our conference in June. And if you subscribe to this podcast, we will have a special registration offer just for you coming up soon. And now your hosts, Joe Woodard and Heather Satterley. Well, Heather, we're back at it again, and we're talking about document deadlock this week. Super exciting topic. Yeah, a super exciting and a super pain, right, is when you're trying to get (laughs) those documents from your clients. I think that, honestly, in my opinion, is one of the biggest pains uh, when you are an accountant in practice, because trying to get the information you need to do your job can be a giant uphill battle. Yep. So addressing it is going to be the super exciting part. And the yeah. painful part is its existence. And that was a really, really good delineator. Thank you for that. So um, I'm going to take this topic for this week. And uh, got, I've got some tips here that are intensely practical. And then I want to hear your thoughts about them. So tip number one, if you're having a difficulty, if it's when, because you are having a difficulty getting the source documents you need from your clients for whatever you're doing, whatever the nature of the engagement, first add deadlines to your engagement letter make it formal. And I've got several aspects of this that will make this workable. Because if you're you're thinking, I have to create a custom engagement letter with custom deadlines for every tax return with different extension dates or an amendment, and every time somebody extends a tax return, it just gets unwieldy. You just won't do it, right? So you want to use pervasive date references. Rather than saying, uh, you must have all the documents to us by X date, which is variable if they decide to extend or not to extend in any given year, make it two months prior to their preferred tax deadline. So it's always relative to any changes you make. Um, Three weeks prior to the 1099 filing deadlines, which are not malleable, and four days after the month end for bookkeeping work. So, you know, now these are just some examples. And that way, every month it's always relevant. You want to make your deliverables dependent on their deadlines. So the idea is if they didn't get you the material that you needed two months prior to the preferred tax filing deadline, which I know is pretty darn aggressive for January 15th, for March 15th, you may want to work with that a little bit, give them a little bit uh, more leeway. Put a caveat that said, if your preferred tax deadline is, is is March 15th, you can have 45 days prior, whatever it is. But write it in to the agreement that if they don't hit the deadline, they have chosen to extend their return. That's massive, right? It puts all the the choice power and the pre-decision around that choice in a binding way, in a very clear defined way that maybe even have them initial that that line that, that their failure to provide source documents is a choice to extend the returns. Um, And if you're going up against the 915 deadline or whatever their final one is, if it's an individual 1015, whatever, whatever that final drop dead is, and this would apply to the 1099s as well, they're pre-deciding that they are going to have you file as best you can with the understanding that 
what you file will likely be inaccurate and will almost certainly have to be amended. And all of that is on them, not you. So you're deferring all of this responsibility ahead of time back over to where the responsibility exists. It is their tax return. It is not yours. It is their financial statement. It is not yours. It is their audit report. It is not yours. Well, okay, that one's good. But it's an audit report about their business. Okay, so so they they you know they they have to take the responsibility for what uh, they're allowing or disallowing you from doing. And this is the last thing I'm going to say about engagement letters. So so far we have pervasive dates, predecisions based off of inaction. And there's another predecision based off of inaction. It's called a delay of engagement option. Now, varies. talk to your attorney. My attorney told me in the state of Georgia to call it an option, not a fee. So the client will exercise this option to delay their engagement, which comes with a delay of engagement fee. It could be a percentage increase or a dollar increase. Percentage is better because that way it's just one number for all clients. So, and, and since they are changing your timetable, since they're rushing you, since they're causing some sort of a workload or capacity issue for you, um, they are going to pay a premium. So this delay of engagement is actually farther out or can be farther out than the initial pervasive date deadlines. So an example could be, let's say that they extend to 950. What you could say is, if you will get us all the material that we need by June the 15th, then your fee is X. But 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 if you get it to us between June 15th and July 15th, it's 20% more than that. And then however you want to work it, you know, because now you're coming up against that amend and, and file an amend kind of thing. You could even say that, you know, we'll go ahead and We'll, we'll make our best faith effort at getting it out on your preferred deadline if you get it to us 30 days before, but it's going to be at a 30% increase in fee. So there's so many ways you can play with the delay of engagement and the deadlines to create these passive decisions on their part, passive contractual options on their part. Um, now, and then the second thing, and remember, they're being passive. So what you're doing is you're turning their passivity into decisions because that's really what inaction is, right? If you remain too long in inaction, your inaction becomes your action. And and I and I typically phrase it this way: if you remain too long in indecision, your indecision becomes your decision, right? It, it, two sides of the same coin. All you're really doing is contractualizing these inactions that become actions, these indecisions that become decisions. Now, tip number two is you provide year-round engagements. Now, this is not applicable to anybody listening in who already does this, you know, who already does bookkeeping work, client accounting services work, year-round advisory work that's very granular to the operations of the business, not just high-level checkpoints. But if you're a tax preparer, you deal with this intensely every tax season, maybe even to a higher pain point than the bookkeepers do, because the bookkeepers have every bookkeeping cycle to constantly work with the client to, to maintain the access to this financial information. So obviously tax preparers book, offer bookkeeping services or offer client accounting services is the best answer to the to this whole tip. But if you're not going to do that, or even over and above what you do with that, you can offer quarterly tax analysis and planning because at least then you're touching the client, getting some visibility 
do some financial measurement and analysis. And that way you're measuring not just the position and performance of the company, but you're also measuring the accuracy of the books from whomever is doing those books, right? Whoever's doing those. Offer spend management services because now you're doing advisory, but you're also staying in their general administrative expenses, staying in their cost lines, staying in that high transaction volume to maintain. It it gives them a reason to maintain accuracy and real time, because let's just face it. How many of your tax clients, tax preparers, don't even care about their financials and only put emphasis on creating accurate financials in order to create a tax return. So it's all about obligation and compliance. So what you need to do is you need to shift their mindset from obligation and compliance to proaction, proactivity. And proactivity means spend management, financial measurements, uh, tax planning and analysis, things that generate new wealth for them through savings. And all of a sudden they're going to care. They're going to care that their GNA is current. They're going to care that their costs are current. And once they begin to care, then they will start taking the record keeping seriously by maybe moving it from their mother-in-law or father-in-law or their second cousin twice removed by marriage, whoever is sort of they're doing a favor for that's screwing the books up and get them over to your client accounting services department or to a competent bookkeeper. Um, And then you've got accounting system checks. Are you on a quarterly basis? You can check 1099 vendors and W9 compliance, bank recs. You can do chart of accounts and assessments. Have they stuck weird things on the chart of accounts you need to merge together and, and consolidate? What have been any changes to prior closed periods that they've made? And what are any high level coding problems that you're seeing, right? And if you can train the client to say, stick it in suspense, I'll take a look every quarter at least all the problems are in one bucket, right? Even if you can't sell them on bookkeeping services. So now keep in mind, folks, you're charging for this. So not only are you going to go in more prepared for your tax season because you're not coming in blind, um, but you will also make money with these quarterly check-ins and especially with these value-added services because you're generating new wealth for them to their bottom line. But nothing beats doing the bookkeeping because you could do the bookkeeping and still do the spend management and do the accounting system checks, or you don't have to because you're doing it, and the financial measurements and and the tax planning, but you could do it now so much more effectively while making so much more money. My next tip, tip number three, is offer bookkeeping services to your clients. This is a drill down on tip number two. Tax preparers, that means non-seasonal revenue streams. Tax preparers, that means you get to bundle the tax return with the bookkeeping and put it all into one monthly payment so that they've paid for the tax return before you start the tax return. You get a significant increase in uh, efficiency because you're the one giving yourself the financials to do the tax return. (laughs) And you're probably storing it in a system, hopefully, that integrates with or you've created, say, a Zapier integration with or an import integration with your tax preparation software. So think about significant increases in efficiency and effectiveness because of tax planning and non-seasonal incomes, plus the fact that they're going to prepay for that tax return. All right. Tip number four, create proactive touches. So for tax preparation services, you want to begin six weeks prior to the deadline. Folks, I, I get it. It's frustrating when clients don't give us what they need. However, a lot of this responsibility has to come back to us. 
if we're frustrated with our clients because we don't have all the W-9s we need on January the 15th or January the 20th, my question to you is, did you start working with the client on those W-9s on December 1st of the previous year? Because how many new vendors are they going to create in December? And can't you manage that with them? So if you didn't start working with them in December or even November on their W-9s, or if you don't perpetually work with them throughout the year on W-9 retrieval, it's it's a two-way street. That Two people are tangoing here, right? And you can't put all of that on the client. They need help. They've got a business to run. They've got a widget to manufacture. You know, let's help them to, to not paint themselves in a corner here. You want to escalate the urgency. So about six weeks out, you say, hey, look, just so you can remember now, it's a 60-day threshold. So six, six weeks before the 60 days, you can remind them, get all this stuff together. Here's your tax organizer. or Here's a reminder. Here's our link to our portal or whatever you use. And, and by the way, don't forget, if you don't get it in in these next six weeks, my fee does go up by 20%. Everything that is proactivity on your part. You have to have enough proactivity for the both of you, both you and your client so that yours can spill over to them. For monthly bookkeeping, you want to provide contextual touches throughout the bookkeeping cycle. Don't just wait till the end and then you get to day five and you're scolding the client. Uh, You know, there are things you can collect, you know, all the way through the bookkeeping cycle, even if you're only doing a monthly compilation. You know, real-time bookkeeping is the easiest way to manage that is the one you'll make the most money on. Um, And then for 1099, you want to begin about three weeks prior to the deadline um, but I would actually say three weeks prior to your deadline, which is January 1st for W-9. So that's like early December is where you want to start looking at that. Um, and then my final tip for you is to modernize the client experience. Much of the reason clients don't work with us proactively is because we don't provide to them a usable system through which to engage us. Email is insecure and ineffective. I, I'm a zero inbox person. And we run a zero inbox company over here at Woodard. Um, And that is not typical of the human existence. Your clients may have 10,000 or 20,000 or 1,000 or 500 emails just sitting around cluttering up their inbox. That's the typical business experience. And if you're one of those, then you're going to get ignored. Uh, You're going to get lost. So you need to create some kind of, a, of an easy to use high engagement portal. Some of the ones that are available in the space that we really like are Canopy has one that if you use Canopy's practice management, uh, Client Hub has a great mobile tool and Lysio, L-I-S-C-I-O has a great mobile tool and Expensify just launched one, uh, a V1 of one that they're going to continually improve upon across this year. You can get that one at new.expensify.com. You can check that out. So there are great collaboration tools that are available that are designed specifically for you to work with clients with secure document exchange that are super easy to use. And most importantly, are mobile first because the world lives on the third screen, not the first screen TV, not the second screen computer. We live in the third screen of mobile and we need to meet our clients there. We need to be the accountant and bookkeeper in their pocket. And then all of a sudden, they'll respond to us. Well, Heather, that's how we do documents. What are your thoughts on all that? Oh my gosh. Uh, such great tips. And you know, when I, when, hearing you talk about the different tips, 
they all go together. And it really comes down to looking at your practice, looking at the way you've been doing things and the way that you've been running your practice and kind of picking it apart and flipping it on, on its head. And, and what we're seeing now um, with firms is we got into this situation because we focused on really just pushing out tax returns, pushing out the work, taking as much work as we possibly could. And we all ended up really unhealthy, unhappy, and our clients were unhappy because we were overworked and overstressed. So this, this intentionality and this um, setting up these systems within your practice and spreading out throughout the year and focusing not on just what the problem is, which is getting the documents, but on the client experience and kind of focusing on why is it that we're not getting the information we need and how is this affecting the client's experience with our firm and the relationship that we're having with the client. And I think that once we start to drill down and look at that, then all of these tips that you've provided fall into place and we start to see the real roadmap for you know, not only getting what we need to do really good work and being a better practitioner, but having these incredible client relationships because our clients now know exactly what's expected of them. You know, we're letting them know, you know, you know, how to get us the information in the most efficient way so that we can deliver the best service to them. And they're not, you know, they're not finding out in March or April that they owe an enormous amount of money because we're having these conversations throughout the year. And all of that equates to my client loves me because they understand what I'm feeling. They understand my pain points and they're helping me to mitigate my, my tax liability. They're helping me to not feel stressed about it. Um, and by doing that, we're not feeling stressed about it because no, we and, are and, I, and the other inverse on that is we're also loving the client, right? Yes. So it's, yeah, you know, and so, you're absolutely right. It, it all comes down to Simon Sinek's why. Why trumps yes. what and how. And if they see the why, this is directly connected to me saving in tax liability, saving on my spend, you know, projecting my cash flow better, having better visibility, making better business decisions, all of it, and then give them an easy way to get the stuff to us. It's, it really, it, we're not going to have to use the stick, go up by 20%. We can use the carrot, save right. a bunt by, by engaging me pro- proactively. Exactly. And I mean, a couple of things, the little things that as you were were talking through that came to mind with the tip one, adding the deadlines to the engagement letters. I love that. And what some firms are doing is they're actually flipping it on its head so that rather than it being a penalty, you don't get me the information uh by this time, you're automatically going on extension or your fee goes up. They're actually doing it the other way um, where- Get it to me early and say- done by the 15th, Here's your price, which is, you know, $1,000 just per se or $5,000. But if you agree to go on extension, we're going to drop that price by $1,000. And what that does is that allows you to have more capacity during tax season and help you to spread your, your, um, you know, your workout throughout the year. So I think that's an interesting way to look at it as well. And also what I would say is don't just put it in the engagement letter. You have to verbally have a conversation with your client and make sure that they absolutely understand. Because they're not going to read. They're not going to read. They're not going to read it. You're right, Joe. They're Even not. if they and initial so, a line, they're not going to read what they initialed. Yeah. And if it and if it ends up defaulting to where they go on extension and they weren't aware and they just signed on the dotted line, now you have a customer service issue. Yes. Right. 
where you're going to have to back and it's not going to be a good. So I would say, yes, put it in there, but make sure that you're, you, you make sure that they understand that that's, um, you know, that that's what's going to happen. Um, the year-round engagements, absolutely. Our clients want this. If you're not doing this, then you need, you, you really need to rethink it because your clients truly want this. They don't want to just see you once a year. They don't want to, you know, get everything ready at the end of the year. That's stressful to them. Um, talk to them about it. And, and another thing that, you know, firms have done that works out really well is you can bundle those tax return fees with the monthly services. You're going to get the return for free. I'm going to work with you on a monthly basis. We're going to have this great relationship. I'm going to step into a, an advisory role and your tax returns just going to be included because guess what? At the end of the year, all the hard stuff's done. We're just going to prep the return and there you go. So I think that's another way that you can really, you know, make it a, a big positive rather than it being we're penalizing you, you're misbehaving. We're going to change the way we work together. And I think that 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 really brings an enormous amount of value to your, um, you know, to to your firm. Um, I could not so, I could not agree more. So, so again, you have that stick in the carrot. You got to have the stick for the really tough clients that don't want ever want that relationship. But the right. carrot, the carrot is always better, better than the stick. So, all right. So, hopefully, this these helped everybody with yes. with uh, with tips on get, getting these documents in. And now we must move to the next segment. One of my favorite ones where, you know, we're both big TV people and we're big movie people and we find wisdom in the things that people say. So every week, Heather, you bring a TV quote and I bring a TV quote with a business application. So what's yours? We do. Okay. So my, my daughters, I have, I have three daughters. Two of my daughters are huge RuPaul fans. And so when I visit, my sister is too. So when I visit with them and I just, I just visited with my daughter this past week, we're doing wedding planning. We did a whole RuPaul marathon. And so one of the things that RuPaul says at the very end of every episode, it's the last thing that they say is, if you can't love yourself, how in the hell you going to love somebody else, mm. right? And so where I went with that and where I feel like there's a business application is our firms. If we don't love ourselves and our firms and do the things that we give advice to our clients to do, how can we set the example, right? So I think that it's, you know, how can, if you're not at maximum efficiency and you're not intentional about what you're doing in your own practice, then you can't provide exceptional quality service to your clients. You just can't yep. because you're It has to be an extension of, of your worth. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. So mine is Men in Black and it was the, the K, Agent K, played by Tommy Lee Jones, and he has just told Agent J, uh, Will Smith, who he's about to recruit here, but he's not recruited yet. He's just informed Will Smith's character that uh, there are aliens all over Earth and they've hidden it from humanity. And there's this uh, men in black agency that takes care of them. Well, Will Smith's character, J, says to Tommy Lee Jones' character, K, um, he goes, but people are going to figure this out. People are smart. And Kay replies, uh, a person is smart. People are dumb. And so there, this is the meaning behind that, that, that collectively we get into thought bubbles. Collectively, we reinforce confirmation bias. Collectively, we can create actual diagnosed mass hysteria, mass hypnosis, uh, mass delusion, 
you know, groups of people do not act smartly, right? So um, the takeaway for business is, and, and this was, since I'm always looking for a business lens, what I immediately went to is anytime that I'm in the hallway of Scaling New Heights, talking to an attendee of Scaling New Heights, I'm talking to one of the smartest people in our field. But if I don't build the systems that manage my Scaling New Heights conference, if I don't build those to be super simple, it's going to overwhelm my customer support desk. I mean, super simple. So collectively, all of our attendees need super, super simple process. Um, and, but individually, they're extremely bright people. Now, I, I exemplify this too. Um, because Disney, when I went to Disney Institute, they said the most commonly asked question at Disney World, this is not a joke, is what time is the three o'clock parade? And these are by smart people. They probably, you know, are professionals, lawyers, doctors, but what time is the three o'clock parade? Now, what they mean is, what time does the three o'clock parade come by me? So as long as you understand what the interpretation is, but I did this too. I was at Disney World and I said, Um, I'm sorry, where's the nearest bathroom? And the person was very patient with me, but it was like right over their shoulder. I mean, while I was looking at them, it said men, you know? So I'm like, I I get it that you you get, you know, a hundred thousand people in a theme park and you have to make it insanely simple because people are dumb. Now, so what I would tell you guys is when you're building, this kind of gets us back to document deadline, deadlock. If people have to remember a URL, if they have to type in a password every time to get to a portal, and if they have to remember where to go to navigate within a portal to see their docs or upload docs or navigate to their docs, and it's complex in any way, the same person, individual, who can store all of their files in very complex systems or manage their warehouse or build robots is never going to use your portal because people won't use your portal even though a person can build a robot. So super simple rules. Yeah, no, I love that. I love that. Um, and you're absolutely right. That's one of the things I loved about uh, using Carbon was one that I used. And I loved it because it was easy. They just had to click the link and go in and upload their stuff. And it was great. So you're right. Um, and that made it very easy. We got to make exactly. it easy. So, And all of, the, all of the apps that you listed do that, which is fantastic. Yes. But that's they really where we, need, where we need to go. Because you're right. I've had these great ideas believe me, in my career where I'm like, this is a great idea, but it was so complicated that no one was ever going to use it. And I think that we're all guilty of that. All right. So out of time on the TV and movie segment, let's get to the book segment. And I think you're doing the book segment this time around. You read something interesting. What did you read? Yeah. So um, a colleague of mine, Liz Liz Mason, actually, I went on a vacation a couple years ago by myself. By the way, I highly recommend taking a vacation by yourself. It is kind of life-changing. And I was looking for a book to read on the beach. And she sent me this book called Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. And uh, it's it's a book um, that really kind of changed my life. Uh, I actually give it away, just like Liz does. I give it away to people that are important to me. Um, but it talks about the creative process. And it talks about ideas and intentionality and following through on things. And her idea is a little out there. Um, but it's beautifully written and it, the premise of it is that everyone can be creative and that it takes a commitment to follow through on the creative ideas that you have and actually see them through with intentionality. And so one of the things I love the way that she speaks about ideas, uh, she speaks about ideas as beings, that ideas are beings 
that have a life of their own. And the way that she describes it is she says that these ideas come and they visit you and they whisper in your ear, little beings, and they say, here's this idea. And you get excited about it and you think about it and you start to think about all the possibilities and you have a choice to make with the idea. And the choice is to make a commitment to it and actually see it through and execute on it and see it to fruition or to let it go. And if you, as you said earlier, Joe, just earlier in the, in the podcast that, you know, indecision actually is a form of making a decision. It'll make it without you. The same thing with Elizabeth Gilbert. And uh, what she says is that the idea will flutter away. If you don't take action, it will flutter away and someone else will find it and they will marry it and they will see it through to the outcome. And that's why a lot of times you see in history that invention, and she talks a lot about this in her book, in invention, um, a lot of different people in different parts of the world will actually, the same invention will, you know, will be developed around the same time in different areas. And that she, she says that that supports her theory, that these ideas are kind of like the hive mind and that people that actually see them and recognize the potential and make the commitment to making them reality are the ones that, that end up bringing it to life. So she, she, you know, the whole goal is be intentional about you, what you want. Every idea isn't a great idea, but when you have an idea and you recognize it, you need to see it through. It's, it's a lovely book. I think that, um, really great read, a lot of really great takeaways. And um, what it's helped me to do is be intentional about the things that come into my life and make that decision. Is this something that I'm willing to take in and nurture and see through to the end? Um, yeah. So and I, I love this. I love the word fear in the title because there are many reasons why we don't act on amazing ideas and that we're not creative, but fear is one of the biggest fear of Absolutely. failure you know, fear of overstepping my bounds, you know, uh, kind of this imposter syndrome, who am I to do X, Y, Z? Um, and nothing is more limiting than a fear around your self-perception or a fear around imperfection or fear about rejection. Yes. You know, so you just got to curb all that stuff. So, all right, now let's talk about favorite social posts. I'm going to lead out on this one. So this is our, uh, one of our other segments where you go pick something from the week that we thought was really awesome. Mine comes from my friend Ed Kless, uh, a man of singular wit, and he says on Twitter, because uh, of all this chat GPT stuff flying around in the air, he says, if AI, artificial intelligence, is going to put your company out of business, your business already kind of sucks. Um, yeah. <laughs> and if you know Ed, and you can actually impose Ed's voice onto that, it gets even <laughs> It gets even funnier, right? Because he does he does say say it to be funny, but he doesn't he's not tongue in cheek. I mean he's making a point. And you know, for years we've known, folks listening in here, that we've we've known that the the role that we should be playing is beyond service work. Right. We've known this, right? And even knowledge work is what transcends service work, but there's even another level of evolution. That's relationship work. Relationship work transcends knowledge work. Knowledge work transcends service work. So as um, the, the tool sets, the utilities have displaced much of the service work, um, that was displacement or disruption number one. But disruption number two is artificial intelligence, and that disruption is starting to displace the knowledge work piece. 
because I can ask ChatGPT a question about tax planning or stock portfolios, investments, and all of a sudden financial planners, tax preparers, tax advisors could could stand to be displaced, um, especially as reliability in the systems gets gets greater and greater. Um, coders might start soon be displaced because coding is an exact science. All you have to do is just tell Chat ChatPT what you, what you want the program to do; it'll write the code. So th- those are service work uh, areas and knowledge work areas. But what ChatGPT can't do is it can't have a relationship with a human being. And it never will be able to have a human-to-human relationship with a human being because it's not human. And so if we will encapsulate the service we do and the knowledge we do into the relationships we have, and we do what they can, what it can never do, which is empathy, like we mentioned earlier today, love, love our clients. When we can be the person who comes alongside them for the whole of their journey, the ancient Greek word for that's a word called paraclete. The per- a, a chat GBT cannot come alongside somebody for the whole of their journey and protect that journey. Um, that's the thing that can never be displaced. And to put it in Ed's terms, that's the business that doesn't kind of suck. All right. Right. No, All I, right. I, I completely agree with you. We're talking about the relationships. You know, you can't have a relationship with chat GPT. You can have a relationship with a human being. <clears throat> so Absolutely. And that actually brings me into to my quote, which is all about relationships. So uh, it's my my tweet was Cheryl uh, Sherelle Martin, who's a good friend of mine, and she said, "When you're giving into scope creep to get the stuff done, uh, and your employee pulls you on the carpet and says, no, they need to pay for that,' right? And so, really, what that is is that is an example of making sure that your team is aligned with your firm's vision, mission, purpose, processes, um, and knowing that everybody's on the same page. So I love that. And I think that that's really, that is really important. It's hard to do. It's it hard, is to, really do. hard to do. That, that that's something that takes a lot of intentionality and, um, and a great leader. So it takes a great well, leader. It great does. Job. Yep. It does. And, and she couldn't have pointed out a bigger pain point. As a matter of fact, we could almost do an entire episode just oh, on definitely. scope management, scope creep, setting boundaries like that in client relationships. We t- touched on it a little bit with the stubborn client, but it was more from getting them to act. Now we have to control how we act, right? We so, do. And that's the hard, hard, hard part, right? Yeah. So, um, right, we got one more, segment. one more segment. Oh, you have one more thing from Sherelle? Yeah. No, no, I was oh. going to say the next segment is the water yeah. report. Yeah. All right. We're, yeah. we're in the same so, place. All right. So the last segment of every episode Heather picks her favorite article of the week from the Water Report, where she is the senior editor. So go, Heather. Yeah. So this this week, um, I published an article. Um, well, Intuit released the Intuit Accountants Technology Survey, where they asked two thousand accountants about their <clears throat> what they thought of you know technology, what their plans were for twenty twenty three in in investment in technology. How you know how did they feel about artificial intelligence um, and the emergence and how that was going to fit in. And they talked about the staffing crisis. And there were some really interesting, but not super surprising results. So as I was reading it, there wasn't anything that I was like, oh, wow, I'm really surprised to see this. But it was very, very insightful and validating, I would say, to what we're seeing 
um, and a great, great insight. So definitely take a look at that. I think there's a lot of good nuggets to take away and, and, and really interesting things. So uh, good. All right. You can so check yeah, that, that out at Woodard, WoodardReport.com. Yeah, absolutely. That's right. And um, and then also at uh, Woodard.com, click on podcast and there will be all sorts of resources connected to this episode, including a listing guide, links to some of the things we've mentioned and all sorts of other goodies. Plus, you can always play this back on demand anytime. And that that's a wrap for today. But we do get to do this in one week from today. So, Heather, I'll see you then. Thank you for joining us. For more information, please visit woodard.com slash podcast.